دع الأيام تفعل ما تشاء وطب نفسا إذا حكم القضاء ولا تجزع لحادثة الليالي فما لحوادث الدنيا بقاء وكن رجلا على الحمد لله all praises due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created us from one pair and made us into nations and diverse tribes. Not a word that we utter except that it is written down by observant angels and watchful scribes. Of his signs is that he has created us from turab, from dust, and made us into many different skin colors. And of his mercy is that he has united all of the believers, regardless of race, as brothers. May salat and salam be upon the one who taught us that between white and black there is no superiority. For he said that ranks are raised and nobility conferred not by skin but by piety. Realize, dear Muslims, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has reminded us to be conscious of him when he says in the Quran, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatih wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. As to what follows, we are all painfully aware We are all witnessing in horror the events that have unfolded over the last week and a half after the brutal killing in broad daylight of yet another person of color at the hands of police. This came only shortly after a jogger was literally hunted down once again in broad daylight and shot at the hands of people who videotaped that deed and gloated over his death even as they used racial slurs. But these incidents are not random. They are not atypical. And the reality that most of us live is very, very disconnected from the reality of these stories. The sad fact of the matter is that this country has a long history, a well-documented history of racism and injustice. And while many of us, and in particular those of us who came or whose parents came from other lands, while many of us attempted to live out the American dream, and frankly, many of us succeeded in living out that dream, even as we have lived out that American dream, we have failed to acknowledge the American nightmare that the African Americans have had to undergo for the last 400 years, beginning with the forced kidnapping and brutal extraction of what would eventually become over 4 million slaves in this land. The manifestation of American slavery was one of the largest and one of the most brutal manifestations of the institutions of slavery in human history. And it was class slavery. It was a slavery of an entire nation in bondage simply because of the color of their skin and their origin. One class against another class. And dear Muslims, this is exactly what Allah accuses Fir'aun of when Fir'aun separated between his people and between the Bani Israel. This is the pharaonic evil of separating people based upon race and skin color and then subjugating one of them in bondage while the other one is the superior race. 
The issue of slavery was the one issue that this country has gone to war over, the civil war. And by the way, even in the civil war, we should not idealize the northern states that fought to free the African-American slaves because that their goal was never to make the slaves equal to the other citizens. Their goal was to create a subjugated class, a second class of citizens that could give them cheap labor and could be taken advantage of. And that is how things continued for yet another century. It was only in our generation or the generation before ours that the civil rights, which took place barely a generation ago, many of us fail to realize that the civil rights is still in living memory. There are millions of people, millions of people who participated in the civil rights. They saw themselves the America pre-civil rights and post-civil rights. This is living real history. It's not something eons ago. It's not something centuries ago. The civil rights is something that took place from the elders of our own generation. They were alive at that time. And what the civil rights did was not to eliminate racism. No, what it did was to lift the laws that explicitly legalized and legislated bigotry. The civil rights and the success of the civil rights could not erase the actual bigotry. They could not wipe out the actual hatred and feeling of superiority that runs deep in the DNA of this country. And therefore, even after the civil rights, the system of this land was set up from birth to act as impediments and barriers to those of particular uh, backgrounds. And there is a saying that anthropologists and historians say in America that zip codes decide your destiny. And what they mean by this is where you are born in this country, it dictates much of your future. If you're born in the ghettoized neighborhoods, if you're born in predominantly African-American neighborhoods, then your entire life has a different trajectory than somebody who is living two, three streets away in another zip code. Most of us living in suburbia, most of us living in the upper class of this this land do not understand the intentional laws that have been passed to segregate zonally through a legal mechanism to this day to segregate blacks from whites. And if you look at just any statistic, whether it is education and the education gap, whether it is job prospects, whether it is exposure to crime and violence, whether it is unemployment rate, whether it is the wealth gap, a statistic that I looked up to today, and subhanAllah, day in and day out, we are continuing to educate ourselves. I think I know a little bit about this history and land. But the more you study, the more you are shocked. Today, I looked up this statistic that the median, uh, the, the median wealth that the black family owns in this land is a shocking 2% of the median amount of wealth that a white family owns. Let that statistic sink in. 2% if the average white family owns $100,000 2% of that $2,000 is with the surplus the average African-American family have. Look at the disparity of that gap. Yes, it is true that there are no laws in the books that can legally discriminate now between black and white, but still the shadow of racism, but still the effects of 300 years of bigotry are clear and palpable at every single level of society to those who have to face it. And of course, statistics we can go on and on, even though this land has around 15% African Americans. If you look at the prison system, one third of the people in jail are African American. If you look at the statistics of, P of police stopping people on the street, 
80% of the people who were stopped by the police in New York in a very exhaustive study done a few years ago, 80% were African American. And even, by the way, the Caucasians who were stopped, less than 8% of the Caucasians were actually frisked and interrogated. They were simply asked a question and then let go. So what is going to happen when this brutality continues? What is going to happen when this blatant racism continues between people of color and the events of the last few months have shown us that. This is not a justification of the random acts of looting and hooliganism. But those Muslims who concentrate on those random acts and they forget the larger picture, it is exactly the same. And I'm sorry for being blunt here to concentrate on the crimes of some pal Palestinians and to ignore the bigger problems that the Palestinians live in. Does any Muslim get irritated by one Palestinian and say, how dare he have done this and ignore the system of what is causing that anger? Nobody does that. Then why don't we understand the same reality? We are not justifying anything that is un-Islamic. Of course it is not right to loot and to steal and to break property that does not belong to you. And that is something that is incorrect. But let that not blind us to the reality of 400 years of oppression. What is going to happen when so much oppression happens? And this is not a justification. It is a contextualization. Now, we can go on and on. And the reason that I wanted to summarize some actual facts is because most of us who are immigrants or children of immigrants, we really and truly do live in a bubble that is very isolated from the realities of our African-American brethren. So I wanted to bring it into the khutbah. But obviously, we're giving a Friday khutbah. We are all Muslims over here. And I wanted to now link it directly to one of the core teachings of Islam. Now, we all know and we have heard a million khutbas about how Islam came to abolish racism. But I still believe that most of us do not fully comprehend how integral this aspect was in our deen from its very inception. Mecca itself, like America, had its own issues of racism and classism. And when Islam came, there is no doubt that the primary focus was the kalima and tawheed and the elimination of idol worship. There's no question about that. But from the very beginning of this religion, from the very beginning of the revelation of the Quran, other aspects were also being instilled in the hearts of the followers of this religion. And one of them, one of the key teachings that dates to the very beginnings of Islam is that all human beings are equal in the eyes of Allah, regardless of their skin color or their ethnic origin. And we can give many khutbas about incidents from the seerah, but I wanted to give you three or four from the beginning and from the middle and from the end to demonstrate the consistency by which our Prophet and the Quran it battled racism. Racism was not revealed, uh, the, the banning of racism was not revealed in late Medina. And by the way, let me again be honest here. So many of the issues that we love to pounce on and concentrate on, whether it is the hijab, whether it is other things, these were revealed late Medina, the fifth year of the hijrah. Okay, that's good. We talk about everything. Where and why do we not encourage and talk about eliminating racism, which came with the very beginning of the revelation, which came with the very thrust of this faith. And it was a consistent reality until the end of this tradition. I, go, I quote you one of the most interesting aspects of the seerah 
of early Mecca, that Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira and some of the senior members of the Quraysh, and Al-Walid is the father of Khalid, Khalid ibn Al-Walid, one of the senior members of the Quraysh, one of the most powerful, one of the richest members of parliament. He was of the Darul Najwa, and he was somebody who was on the fence. He was not like Abu Jahl, and he was also not a convert. Al-Walid was somebody who was interested in Islam, and, the, and he once came to Abu Talib with a, another group of people like him, and he said to Abu Talib, that, oh Abu Talib, your nephew has teachings that we might listen to, we might, we might appreciate and maybe even convert. But we have one condition that we ask you to place on him. And that is, what was the condition? Ibn Ishaq mentions that you tell him that when we come into his gathering, he needs to cause Bilal and Ibn Mas'ud and Ammar ibn Yasir. By the way, Ammar was also a very dark skin. You must ask them to leave the gathering and we will have a private gathering. Now, notice here, they did not say to eliminate anti-racism from Islam. They only said when we come, we don't want those people over there. That was the only condition. When we enter the room, those people have to leave, we will not sit down with the likes of them. That is what they said to Abu Talib. Let not the Arabs say that we will sit with the likes of Bilal and with Ammar and with others. And they were of course from a different ethnicity and of course from a different skin color. Abu Talib rejoiced. He thought this was the breakthrough. And he rushed to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to his nephew that, Oh my nephew, be reasonable. Your qawm, your people have come to you with a very reasonable condition. Please don't be hasty. Listen to to it and we will solve all of this problem and the Prophet himself it appears he was thinking of this he went to the senior Sahaba a number of senior Sahaba, they said, Ya Rasulullah, Bilal will understand. You make him up later, tell him, yani, we'll get Walid. Bilal will understand, he's one of us, we'll make it up to him later on. And perhaps many people were sympathetic to this notion. After all, you are getting Al-Walid. And if you understand who Walid is, if you understand the power of Al-Walid, the status of Al-Walid, the fame of Al-Walid, if you understand the PR benefit to have somebody like Al-Walid ibn Mughira on your side, you will perhaps understand why so many of the senior sahaba and maybe even more than that were flirting with this idea. But then Allah revealed not one, not two, three verses in the Quran. Think about that. Somebody as powerful as Walid and his only condition, he didn't say, let Islam become a privileged status, only the whites and the Arabs here. And no, he didn't say that. He said, when I come and my entourage comes, there should be segregation. That's all that he said. He did not care if it was in other gatherings. He just himself did not want to be a part of an equal class society. And remember, this is early Mecca. Muslims are still being persecuted. Muslims are still being harassed and intimidated. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed three verses about this. Of them is Surah Al-Kahf. That Allah says, be patient and stick around those people who are making dua to Allah morning and evening for the sake of Allah. And Allah says in Surah Al-An'am, do not expel from your gathering. Do not expel those who are calling their Lord morning and evening. Then Allah says, And if you get rid of them, Ya Rasulullah, if you kick them out of your gathering, then you would have done an injustice. You would have done something that is wrong. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Imagine the verses coming down and our Prophet is being addressed. Do not get rid of Ammar. 
Do not get rid of Bilal. Do not get rid of Ibn Mas'ud. Stick with them and do not worry about others that you desire the, 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 the pleasures of this world. Those people, Al-Walid and their ilk, they're bringing you this dunya. But Allah says, no, I don't care about that. I want the quality of Bilal, the quality of Ammar, the quality of Ibn Mas'ud, the quality of Suhaib al-Rumi, the quality of Salman al-Farisi. That's what I want. I don't care about the wealth of Mughira and the fame of so-and-so and the power of so-and-so. So they don't deserve anything if they don't have taqwa. From the very beginning, that was the message of Islam. In the Medinan phase, there are so many ahadith about this reality. And of course, of the most famous of them was when Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu an, Bilal owed him some money and Bilal was not able to pay on the right amount of time. And of course, in this scenario, yani Abu Dhar has a right to demand his money, but Abu Dhar demanded it in a manner that was not acceptable. And he got angry when Bilal asked for extension and delay. He got angry and he said, O son of a black woman, Yabn al-Sawda. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi was passing by and he immediately turned to Abu Dhar and he said, did you criticize him because of basically the skin color of his mother? Did you say something that was meant to demean him because of this issue? You are a person that still has jahiliyyah within you. And Abu Dhar felt so guilty that he lowered himself in front of Bilal and begged for forgiveness. And Bilal picked him up and kissed him and forgave him. But the point being, this was a public teaching moment that everybody should know that we will not talk tolerate these acts of aggression, microaggression, racism. We're not going to tolerate this terminology and this language. And of course, when our Prophet ﷺ conquered Mecca, in the eighth year of the Hijrah. And the very day that he conquered Mecca, it was time for the Adhan of Asr. And the Quraysh were huddled in front of the Kaaba. All of the senior members, they did not know what is going to happen. Shall they be forgiven? Shall they be executed? They did not know. And the Prophet ﷺ said to Bilal, O Bilal, it is time for the Adhan. Go and give it from on top of the Kaaba. And so Bilal ibn Abi Rabah, he climbed on top of the Kaaba to make the Adhan. Remember, barely a few hours have gone by since the Prophet ﷺ has conquered Mecca. The majority of the Quraysh are still not Muslim. If one of us had been there, perhaps we would have said, let's not send Bilal. It's going to increase the tensions. Let's be politically correct. Let's choose one of these noblemen of pure blood so that this is PR, political correctness. Wallahi, ask yourself, what would you have done if you had been in charge? Ask yourself, why did the Prophet choose Bilal? Even though it's not obligatory for one person to give, anybody can give the adhan. And if the Prophet had wanted, he could have told Uthman, that nobleman, or Umar, or Abu Bakr, or anybody to say, okay, today, Bilal, you go to the back and we'll send somebody else for Forward. But no, that's not the point. He wanted to send that message. And Bilal stood up on top of the Kaaba and immediately the Quraysh began murmuring amongst themselves. Utab ibn Asid said, Thank God my father Asid is passed away. Or else if he had seen this, he would have basically had a heart attack and died. Thank God he's already gone. He's thankful that his father, the senior member of the Quraysh who died a pagan, did not live to see this. Al-Harith ibn Hisham, he remarked to the person next to him a very vulgar statement. Didn't Muhammad find anyone better than this black crow to give his adhan? Again, being derogatory. Suhail 
made some remark as well. Abu Sufyan also said, you know, I'm not going to say anything or else Allah might reveal something to him. Meaning he's still a half Muslim. At, at that point, Abu Sufyan is still flirting with Islam. He's like, I don't want to say anything. Perhaps Allah will send Quran to the Prophet wasallam. Ibn Abbas says, Ibn Abbas narrates, when the Quraysh said this, Allah sent Jibreel down to inform the Prophet about what they had said. Allah sent Jibreel down to convey to the Prophet this conversation that was happening somewhere in front of the Kaaba, and the Prophet is sitting where he is sitting. So he called them on the day of the conquest of Mecca. Surely we can say there's better things to do. Surely we can say on that day, he could have just ignored it. On the day of the conquest of Mecca, he calls the seniors that Jibreel mentioned by name. And he said to them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has eliminated tribalism, eliminated al-fakhru bil-ansab, boasting about one's ancestry. Inna al-madara ala taqwa All of it now rests upon piety. And then he recited the verses of Surah Al-Hujurat. Ya ayyuhan nas, inna khalaqnakum he recited this verse a few hours after the conquest of Mecca that all races are equal. If there is going to be any superiority, it will be by means of taqwa. Dear Muslims, all of this shows us that Islam did not just come so that we are busy in our personal rituals. We are busy in our dhikr and ibadat and circles of halaqa and ilm. No, let us not convert this religion into something that is a suburban type of, of, of manifestation of a simplistic. No, Islam came to challenge status quo. Islam came to cause an impact on society. Islam came to eliminate all types of evil, not just this evil, but on one evil, Islam was consistent from the beginning to the very end. The last khutbah that our Prophet ﷺ gave, the khutbah al-wada'a, think about it, from the beginning, in the middle on the day of the conquest and then in Hajjatul Wada' when he gave the largest khutbah he ever gave five paragraphs that's it one entire paragraph dedicated to racism oh Muslims we love this hadith we have it on our walls the khutbatul Wada' is memorized we love to quote things about it have we ever understood the consistency the context why on that day one-fifth of the khutbah is dedicated to eliminating racism why do we not even have a fraction of the passion of our Prophet ﷺ to take an active role, not just passive khutbahs and talk that racism is bad, take a genuine role and have a very difficult look around us that what can we do to eliminate this evil and this disease as our Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith is in Tirmidhi, uh, this is another version of the Hajjat al-Wada' that O mankind, Allah has eliminated from you the tribalism of Jahiliyyah and the boasting of the ancestors. There are only two types of people, a pious, God-fearing person beloved to Allah and an impious, evil person despised by Allah. All of mankind are from Adam and Adam was created from dust. And once again, he recited those verses of Surah Al-Hujurat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless me and you with and through the Quran and may he make us of those who its verses they understand and who implement his halal and haram throughout their lifespan. I ask Allah's forgiveness. You as well ask him, for he is the Ghafoor, the Rahman. Alhamdulillah, al-Wahid, al-Ahad, al-Samad, 
الذي لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا احد وبعده what are the action items that we can do talk is cheap we've been hearing khutbas about racism since the beginning of our childhood no muslim inshallah ta'ala is outwardly openly saying i'm a racist that would be un-islamic nobody would maybe somebody is but generally speaking nobody thinks they're a racist what can we do given the reality of our circumstances a number of points first and foremost understand that supporting oppression against the oppressor supporting the oppressed against the oppressor fighting on behalf of the oppressed against the oppressor and fighting is done by multiple ways sometimes physical if you're able to sometimes verbal and the very least that we can do is in the hearts the very least that fighting against oppression and zulm is something that transcends religion it doesn't matter the religion of the volume and the mazloom of the one who oppressed and the one who oppresses islam teaches us to side with the oppressed against the oppressor in all circumstances we talk of the famous all the time. We talk of the issue of the uh, uh, coming together of the Prophet ﷺ with other people. We rarely want to implement a modern What can we do to bring people together to fight against racism? Whether it is by education, whether it is by other means, but we need to revive the spirit of Hilfal Point number two, I especially advise Muslims whose parents migrated to this land to get outside of their comfort bubble and to learn the history of the land that we live in to understand the contributions of African Americans this country would not be the superpower that it is were it not for the economy generated by slavery the Muslims that migrated to this land we need to understand African American Islam has been here 300 years before immigrant Islam and the most well-respected Muslims of this land are all African American Muhammad Ali Karim Abdul Jabbar all of them immigrant Muslims and children of immigrant Muslims Muslims give due credit where it is due to the contributions of those who pre preceded us. Thirdly, we need to understand the American Muslim community is unique amongst all other countries because of this amazing diversity. No other Western country has had these movements like the Nation of Islam that paved the way for millions of African Americans to convert to mainstream Ahlul Sunnah Islam. We have millions of people that were born and raised here for many generations, and we also have millions who came from other lands. That mixture right now, unfortunately, it is somewhat dividing us, but I say, we have the potential to be the strongest Muslim community in the Western world because coming together, each side has strengths that the other does not. And that will only happen if we cooperate. I encourage every masjid to reach out to the masjids that they typically don't go to and have programs that will benefit both communities. And the last point, the last point, and much more can be said, but time is always uh, of, uh, of the essence here, is that dear Muslims, enough is enough. Let us eliminate all acts and all languages and all stereotypes of micro racism within our own very ranks it is so easy to criticize the police it is so easy to criticize pre-civil war america and pre-civil rights america how about getting an active role within our own communities. There is so much latent racism. Muslims, remember when the Quraysh were in front of the Kaaba, mumbling bad things about Bilal, Allah sent Jibreel down to inform the Prophet ﷺ of that racist language. Let me be very honest here. 
How can we allow snide remarks of micro-racism amongst our own? Oh, people of an Arabic background, stop using slurs like Abid and Zunuj. Oh, people of a Desi background, stop using slurs like Kallu and other things. These are disgusting, derogatory terms. Anytime somebody uses these terms, remember Allah sent Jibreel down because the Quraysh were saying bad things. Are you wanting to be on the side of the Quraysh against the side of the Muslims? Do you not understand that just simply being in that gathering and listening to other people crack jokes and make stereotypes that's a part of the problem so I encourage all of you from now on to make it a, 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 a role for you that you will never be in a gathering where other people inshallah you will not do that where other people will say something of a negative nature and you will let it pass stop that racism and eliminate it and take an active role like our Prophet Sallallahu did to battle against this disease of racism Allahumma inni da'in fa'aminu. We lift our hands to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh Allah, we ask you on this blessed day that you leave no sin of ours except that you have erased them. And no sikwa of ours except that you have cured them. And no one who has passed away except that you have forgiven them. And no one in debt except that you have enriched them. And no one hungry except that you have provided for them. And no one who is oppressed except that you have aided them with your mercy, Ya Allah. Ya Rahman, we ask you to bless Islam and its people and the Ummah, Ya Allah. Allah, make it safe and peaceful and protect it from those who desire for it evil. You are the most majestic, the most powerful. Ya Rahim, raise from us this plague and disease and bless us instead with comfort and ease and acceptance of our good deeds. You are the Hakim and the Majid. Oh Allah, we ask you for the good of this world and the good of the next world and that you protect us from your anger and your punishment. Oh Allah, accept our good deeds, forgive our mistakes and make us and our families from the righteous. Ibadullah, servants of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded you with a command that he began with himself and then he seconded with the angels themselves and then he asked you all and all of us to follow ourselves for he said تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكره يزد لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر وأقم الصلاة يا من أجبت دعاء نوح فانتصر وحملته في فلكك المشحول يا من أحال النار حول خليله روحا وريحانا بقوم